God is good. And I'm excited to see what God's going to do this morning as we're going to get into the probably one of the most significant parts of this message. We've been talking about uh, the gifts of frankincense, and then last week was myrrh, and this week is the gift of gold. And gold may be the one that we understand the most because we kind of have the understanding of gold in our lives right now. We understand that gold is highly valuable. Um, you know, right now, of course, it's like all the commercials right now are, as inflation increases, now is the time to buy gold. And uh, I feel like they always have a reason to buy gold, regardless of what is happening in the economy. There's a commercial like that they got pre-recorded for whatever is happening in the economy for now is the time to buy gold. Uh, I did my research this year. It's expected about $1,000 uh, per family on average in America is going to spend on Christmas. Some of you are thinking we're way more than that. Some of you may be way less than that. Kind of breaks out to about, you know, 650 on the gifts, about 231 on the food, but 120 on decorations. Travel is up. The number one uh, city to travel to in America right now is Orlando, Florida. And stay off of the I-4 corridor, you know, for the next few months. So it's the number one place to, to go right now. And I'm so thankful that we can take a trip to Orlando and come back. Uh, I was with Angie and the boys at Universal on Friday, and just a great chance to go there and then get back to the Space Coast and call this place home. Today, we're going to be looking at the, the gifts of the wise men. We're going to look a little bit more into Matthew 2. I do want to start off by kind of rereading the story so we can just remember where we're at. So we're going to read in Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to kind of just read the first, I think, 11 verses so we can understand the context of where we are today. And then I have a game I'm going to need some players to come up and help me with here in a second. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or you could say magi, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. We'll come back to that later. Know that word disturbed could be uh, maybe a little stronger, if you can think of a stronger word for disturbed, he was greatly infuriated um, by the fact that he had the title King of the Jews. And yet they say, um, we heard King Herod was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, and he's going to quote here from Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi, the wise men, secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child or the toddler with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
Now, lots of people, they tend to get their theology of Christmas uh, from two primary sources, I believe. One is Christmas songs, and uh, the other one may be Christmas cards. Uh, I will tell you that if we use Christmas songs and Christmas cards to build our theology of understanding Christmas, um, it could lead us astray in some areas. For, for today's message, it's easy to look at the song, uh, We Three Kings of Orient Are, Hearing Gifts We Traverse Afar. What's interesting is they were not kings. That's one thing that we've talked about here. They were not kings. However, they were king makers. They were the ones that all the way from the Persians to the Babylonians um, to Roman kings, they would have the magi come and affirm or call their kingship. So in that case, Herod was greatly disturbed when they came and declared that another was being born as the rightful king, a person that came from Israel, which he did not. They are also not from the Orient. When you think of the Orient, you think of like the, the more the Far East. You think of maybe more towards, uh, you know, the Silk Road trade going into India or China or the Far East. In fact, they were most likely from the area today of Iran. So these wise men, however, they come. And we don't know how many there were. We know that there was three gifts, but we don't know how many for sure there were of them. They were spiritual advisors. They were kingmakers. And they come from this land of Persia. When the wise men appear in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel, Daniel is the one who kind of saves them because he's able to translate 700 years before the birth of Christ, prophecies that were being spoken. And he shares them with their king. And Daniel saved their lives in Daniel chapter 2. We would see in verse 2 that he would be appointed over the Magi, the same group of people that 700 years later would come to find the person that Daniel prophesied about in their times. What's interesting is we know that many of the Jews actually stayed in the area of Babylon. So not just did they have the prophecies of Daniel, but these wise men, these magi, they would have had the other Jewish scriptures that were present at the time, such as Numbers 24. They would have known the verse that says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter of rise will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab and the skulls of the people of Sheph. Now, they would understand that, that a ruler, a king, was going to come out of the land of Israel. They also would have had access to Isaiah that we have titled chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. They had all these little scriptures that they had read and studied, and even perhaps more that Daniel had shared with them. They did not come on Christmas night because Jesus was a toddler, and they walked into a home. One thing else, if we think about the songs, I would just guess that a birth that was done with a young woman and her husband in a most likely cave surrounded by animals, there was no such thing as a silent night. There was no epidural in that cave that night. I'm guessing that Jesus screamed. I'm guessing that Mary screamed. I'm guessing Joseph's hand, he screamed. You know, at some point, it was not by any means a silent night. It was three gifts. We are studying the fact that they were these three things. The gifts were not only valuable, 
But the gifts, the gifts were incredibly practical, and yet they were also deeply spiritual. That's why it's been so important to kind of unlock some of these secrets of the gifts. Today, we're going to talk about gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You can find it on our app. You can find it through um, our social media and see the deepness, the richness of the message that these gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the gifts of the Magi can bring to us. I will tell you that out of all the sermons that we've preached, this for me has been over my past five, six, seven, eight years of preaching, one of the top five of just unlocking truths that I didn't know before as we've dug into this message series. Another thing is, if you're taking notes either through the app or there's some uh, places in your bulletin, the gifts from our Magi represented who Jesus was, that Jesus was, that Frankenstein said, our high priest, that before Jesus Christ came, before he lived a perfect life, before he died on the cross for our sins, before that, for us to communicate to God, it was necessary for us to go through a huge amount of ritual to be cleansed, to be clean, and then to be able to make sacrifices through a priest in the temple. We studied that first week that Jesus Christ became that for us. That now we don't have to go and pray through somebody else. We don't have to go through special rituals of cleansing to, to come into this room, although I hope many of us have showered before coming. We, we don't have to go through spiritual cleansing to be in this place together because Jesus Christ is on the right hand of the God. And what's so significant we learned is that he sat down on the right hand of the Father. The original mic drop when he came in and said, I came here for a purpose. It's completed. It's done. Week two, we looked at the fact that Jesus Christ, through the myrrh, represents our suffering servant. And how significant the myrrh was that we've got over here. That the myrrh, this resin that had been around really since the beginning of mankind, came from a bush that was full of thorns. And that the word myrrh comes from the word more, which is also how we get Mount Moriah. The place where Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac until a lamb was provided caught in the thorns. We saw that at Jesus' birth, myrrh was present. At Jesus' death, myrrh was present. We know for sure that myrrh was mixed with vinegar and offered to Christ on the cross. But he denied it to fully embrace the pain and suffering as our suffering servant and as the Lamb of God. We can even make the argument that the crown of thorns that was placed on Jesus' head at a location close to the Mount Moriah may have very well have been from the myrrh bush of the thorns that were placed on our Savior's head. And then we know that myrrh was present at the burial of Christ, although when they showed up, there was no body to place the myrrh on. For our resurrected king had already been brought up to be with his father where he could sit as the high priest. Today is the one that, as I said, we probably understand the most. And that is today we look at the fact that the gift of gold was highly valuable, was highly practical, and also is highly spiritual. Really, since the beginning of time, gold has represented royalty. Gold has represented that there is something about you that's special. If you ever went to go visit the king and you brought a gift, you better make sure that gold is present somewhere in that gift to be accepted by the king by the king. And so we're going to study today and break this out a little bit about the king. But we've always seen that there's a significant of kings. All right, had to have a little competition this morning. All right. 
Hey, uh, let's pray and get back into the Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're just so thankful um, that, God, you are a God that's come, and I, I believe that you are a God who's given us joy. When we started this church, we, we came with the principle that the most exciting news in the history of mankind was the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, God, I'm so thankful that in the middle of this church, Lord, that we can, we can smile, we can laugh, we can have fun, and we can declare that Jesus is King. And uh, there's many, there's kings of jazz, there's kings of blues, uh, kings of rock, and kings of pop. But you are uh, the only king, um, that Jesus is king, the king of kings, the, the Lord of lords. Um, so God, just so thankful that we can come into this message today. So in his name, amen. All right, does anybody remember uh, frankincense and myrrh are mentioned in the Bible the same number of times? Does anybody remember how many? 17, 17 times. 17 times both are mentioned between the Old and New Testament combined. Gold is mentioned 385 times. So you can see this theme of gold is a much more present theme throughout Scripture. More than any other metal, you hear gold mentioned almost as the only metal that you really hear specifically mentioned in Scripture. It was considered the most precious of all metals. We actually know now that it's like the, the third most precious metal on earth with a platinum, and there's another one that's uh, even more than that. But more than any metal, it represents the idea of kingship and royalty. It's not surprising that it's included in the gifts that come from these Eastern Gentile king makers coming and presenting to Jesus the gift that was worthy for a king. A church historian, um, Tertullian, believed that the gifts the wise men actually fulfilled Isaiah 60. When it says, lift up your eyes and look around, they all gather and will come to you. Your sons will come from afar. Your daughters will be carried on the arm. Then they will look and be radiant, and your heart will tremble and swell with joy because the riches of the sea will be brought to you, and the wealth of nations will come to you. Caravans of uh, camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah will all from Sheba will come in bearing gold and frankincense, proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Today we are here to declare that Jesus is the king like no other. That Jesus is a king like no one expected. That Jesus is the king of all kings. And that as we are trying to kind of lay out this idea that Jesus becoming king was not an individual moment. It was not a date that happens on our calendar. But Jesus as king is the message all the way from the beginning of Scripture. And we'll see today in our closing the very end of Scripture. This idea, this idea that Jesus is called to be our king. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Now when we see this in the Greek language, basically what Paul was trying to do in his writing was to give the highest level of possible authority to Jesus Christ in this text. That's the way that we should read that. That he is trying to give that there is no other description that could be put forward to give you the supreme authority the supreme power, the supreme mercy of Jesus Christ. 
This morning, I, I listen to Pastor Rick's message um, before I, I leave the house every Sunday, so it's fun. I get to hear uh, the message on the stage before. And, and he shared the message of the, the mercy and justice of God. And that in Jesus, we see the fullness in Mary's prayer in the very beginning. She describes something that can seem so foreign. Because if Jesus wasn't supremely powerful, then what good would his mercy and forgiveness be? You could be a person who's got all kinds of mercy and forgiveness, but if you have no power, it has no meaning. But if he was simply powerful but wasn't good, he wouldn't be a king worth praising and following. So we see in this description here that he's trying to give us this description of who Jesus is, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. You see, he was a king like no other. The Jews expected him to be a king in a palace, surrounded by wealth and luxury and comfort. Maybe he was going to have a crib with purple lining, a Gucci onesie, and wearing his baby Yeezys as he's trying to figure out the like outfit that you would expect to see you know, a modern king come in. But he was a king like no other. No one predicted the Son of God, the King of glory, would be born in a cave next to farm animals. No one expected the King of kings to have a crib that was a feeding trough for the animals in that cave. No one expected that when this King of kings would grow older and would begin his ministry, he would befriend prostitutes. He would reach across racial lines. He would touch the untouchables as he would touch the lepers. He would touch those that other people rejected and avoided. He would love those that religion rejected. He was a king like no other king. They never imagined he would choose uneducated fishermen, a despised tax collector, rebellious troublemakers and zealots to be his disciples, to begin his relationship of calling people back into relationship with his father. In fact, in Luke 7, chapter 30, uh, Luke 7, verse 34, it said, the son of man came eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's what they said about Jesus. Another person said, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Maybe you can relate to that a little bit. Can anything good come from that town? Can anything good come from a person from that background? Do you know the decisions that they make? Do you know what they do for a living? How could that person ever come back to know who Jesus Christ is? Jesus was a king like no other who forgave the woman caught in adultery. He showed grace to women on the street. At the same time, he would confront the Pharisees and religious leaders. He was a king like no other king who would overturn temples but not overturn people. As we see this description that Jesus is the king like no other king, we have a few opportunities on how we can respond. And we see that in the text that I've already read today. The first one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Herod opposed Jesus as king. In verse 3, it said, When King Herod heard this and he was disturbed, did you hear, hear that next part? And all of Jerusalem with him. Now, why was all of Jerusalem upset when King Herod was upset? Because when King Herod was upset, other people died. When King Herod was upset, 
your house was no longer safe. They knew that whenever King Herod was upset, it was not the time to go on the streets of Jerusalem. You see, it says here in the Greek word of teroso that he was greatly perturbed and highly agitated, that he was angry, and all of Jerusalem with them. The reason why is because Herod's title was the king of the Jews. That's how the Romans referred to him. We have found those writings. He was listed as king of the Jews, and now you've got magi, kingmakers, showing up saying, we've come here to see the king of the Jews. He's like, dude, you're here. Like, I'm the king of the Jews. Bow down, give me these gifts. You know, this entourage, this is for me. You say, no, no, no. This is for the one that has been prophesied. He was scared. He was afraid. If you didn't know this, Herod was not Jewish. Uh, he came from Idumean, a very not known area today, but he came from a further away area. He took over Judea after his father had basically done dealings with the Romans to appoint him as leader over the area. Herod was known for killing any possible rivals, including the historians we know. He killed two of his eldest sons because they became of age to be king, and he wasn't ready to give up the throne yet. So he had him killed. In fact, there's a saying that was recorded in time, it's safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. How would you like to have that for a father? He was cruel. He was paranoid. If you've never actually studied it, his summer palace that he built out in the middle of the desert where they could see for miles and miles at a time, he built this palace, which is beautiful. He actually had places where he could enjoy the sunrise and the sunset. This beautiful palace that he built in the middle of the desert was built specifically because he felt like his home, his palace in Jerusalem, was too close to the people and they could try to overthrow him and have a rebellion. So he put the army around him in the middle of the desert. You can still go find it and see it today. You see, Herod was paranoid, and you take a paranoid, almost crazy ruler, and now you have Magi coming to declare that he was king. What was his response? If we continue our story in Matthew chapter 2, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they, the wise men, returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt. Verse 15 where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years older and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, just representing the mothers of uh, Israel, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Herod was a king who opposed any other king. So the question that I ask, are you opposing Jesus in your life today? How do we do that today? It's easy to say, well, I don't need religion. 
I'm doing fine on my own. I want to be in control of myself. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Don't need an outdated book telling me how to live my life. You know, it's too good to be true, I hear from people. You mean to tell me that all I have to do is just say a prayer and give my life to Christ and all my wrongs will be forgiven? It seems too good to be true. The next question I have is, the Jewish priests, they dismissed Jesus as king. Are you dismissing Jesus as king? Now, what's different about this second category is they knew all the texts. They had read all the verses that we've read today. They've read those texts. They've heard those texts. They knew Micah 5 verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over, over Israel whose origins are from old, from ancient times. They knew the text. In fact, if you pay attention to those first verses that we read, Herod goes to not the wise men, he's actually asking the local priest. And they're the ones that are quoting all these scriptures about the king being born in Bethlehem. And they're affirming this to be true. They knew the truth. They had read the word of God. They went to church. They experience the presence of God. But then all of a sudden, they have the opportunity, and Jesus wasn't who they expected him to be. You know, we have those same opportunities. We have the opportunity right now today to read the Word of God in a way that's never been available in the history of mankind. In your pocket is the Bible in like every translation you can imagine, in every language you can imagine. I love the YouVersion Bible app a Bible study on anything you can imagine, a way to share scripture with other people. We have access to the word of God in a way that has never existed in the history of mankind. But yet I myself can find myself being like, oh man, I don't think I've spent time in the word outside of sermon prep for two days. And, and we've got access. We know the truth. We know that it's there. We have the opportunity to experience church in the safest environment, probably in the history of mankind. Not just from our government and outside, but it's air-conditioned and we've got free coffee. We've got, by the way, if you don't know, our coffee comes from missionaries with Hope Coffee. It says every cup of coffee brings a little bit of hope. We had missionaries that were begging Americans for money to, you know, take care of people in Guatemala. We buy coffee from missionaries who employ people in Guatemala to have the fairest trade. It comes from the missionaries to Houston, Texas, where it's roasted, to Rock Harbor Church, where we drink it. So it's good coffee. We have access to share the mission and the love of Jesus Christ every single day with our friends and neighbors. But many times we choose not to. If you had a friend who was sick and they had something that was going to take their life and you had the cure for it, would you be quiet? Or would you run over their house and bang on the doors and do everything you had to to get their attention and say, I know how to take care of the sickness that is killing you. And I truly believe that is the gift that we have to offer this Christmas. We can invite people when it comes to Christmas Eve. You know, I was going to wait and do this on Christmas Eve, but I'm going to tell you right now. If you haven't noticed, our, our logo that we have here all month long has been called The Gift. But we've been talking about gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which is three gifts. 
But this whole series hasn't really been talking about gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We've been talking about one gift this entire month. And on Christmas Eve, we're going to focus on that one and only gift that we all need that Christmas, and that is the gift of Jesus Christ. I know for some of you, you're like, oh yeah, of course he's going to say the gift of Jesus Christ. That's his job. No, I had a job and I quit it so that I could give my life in a ministry to share that gift with everybody else. And I believe that's the opportunity. I'm just going to tell you, this Christmas Eve is probably the easiest yes you will get all year long to inviting people to church. They might actually say yes. And it's not, they might actually say, thank you for inviting me because we wanted to go somewhere. We didn't know where to go. In fact, the reason why we're at three o'clock is because my grandma gets upset with me if I get to Christmas Eve too late. And she don't care because I'm a pastor. So it's three o'clock. So we can have church. We can sing Christmas carols. We can see kids have fun. We can light candles and hear a message, invite our neighbors, and still make it to grandma's house in time to have meals. That's why it's a three o'clock service. We're not so sure what candle lights are going to look like at 345 in the afternoon, but we'll figure that one out when we get there. You see, we have the opportunity to not oppose or reject, but embrace Jesus Christ this year. In John 12, it says, The crowd from Jerusalem went out to meet Jesus with palm branches, referring to Palm Sunday. They said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he, the King of Israel. The third and final response for today, if you're taking notes, is the wise men bowed down to Jesus as king. If you actually uh, dig into the words on bow down, um, it was the highest level of respect. So this idea of bowing down, there was different words that you could have used. Um, there's the bowing down that's almost just like, you know, doing this. And then there's the, the bowing down that's more like the curtsy where you're bowing low. This word, actually, you could translate that they went prostrate before the Lord. That they actually would have laid down, possibly with their chin on the ground and their palms up as they bowed down. The highest level that you could bow down before the king. The only time that I've really done that in my life was back in the late 90s uh, when there was a rally uh, of Christian men in front of the U.S. Capitol. And my father and I and maybe some other people that were here, they had a moment where they asked all of us to bow down before Jesus Christ, our King, that that is the one that we wanted to lead our country, and it was an amazing moment. That's the bowing down that was done here. The bowing down where they put their chin on the ground and their palms facing up, completely putting all the authority, physically putting themselves at a place where they were vulnerable before the King. And don't forget how ridiculous this is. He was less than two years old, probably running around, probably smacking some stuff. Let's be real. Jesus probably was like any other kid. I'm not saying that he was like sitting, but at the same time, he probably wasn't just sitting there with a halo over his head, you know, singing Christmas carols or whatever. He was a kid. They bowed down before him because he was a king like no other. I pray that we do the same this Christmas. I pray that we bring and we bow down before our Heavenly Father. We bow down before our King of Kings with our gifts, our talents, and our entire lives. And the reason why is because He is a King like no other King. What is your response going to be? Are we going to continue to oppose Him? Are we going to dismiss Him? 
are we going to bow down before him? Because they never imagined that when Jesus Christ became an adult and he came into Jerusalem on that Passover weekend, even the other disciples that were with him, they didn't understand what was about to happen. They expected Jesus to get a big white horse, to grab a sword, call the people together, and the king would come into Jerusalem and declare, I am the king of kings. He would go into the temple, declare his kingship over the land. All of a sudden, they see a crowd forming. And they see something coming over the horizon as it makes its way towards the gates of Jerusalem. And I'm guessing someone said, am I seeing this right? Jesus is on a donkey. That can't be right. He's supposed to be our king, but a servant might ride a donkey. A poor person might ride a donkey. An outcast might ride a donkey. He's supposed to be on a white horse. And our king of kings is on a donkey because he was a king like no other. In fact, when that crowd came, most likely those that were cheering were the outcasts, those that had been rejected by the system. No one expected their king to come in and stand trial for crimes he didn't commit. No one expected an innocent king to be arrested by the Romans and beaten and whipped, bruised, stripped naked, shamed, and hung on a cross. No one expected that the way that Jesus would be recognized as the king of kings was going to be a sign that was placed above his head as he hung on a cross with nails between his wrists and feet that said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. No one expected that to be the title, or at least the way that it was going to be presented. No one expected the king of all kings to hang on the cross and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. No one would have expected a king of kings to stand next to a thief on the cross and say, your sins are forgiven. As on the cross, he recognized the kingship of Jesus Christ. No one expected this king of kings that when he would die and give up his life and say, Father, I commit my spirit, that the response that he would have was the earth shaking, the sky growing dark, and the whole world essentially losing hope in that moment. No one expected a king of kings, royalty, to be buried in a borrowed tomb. But the good news that we can share this morning is this. No one expected the king of kings, the Lord of lords, on the third day to rise again and to prove that he was the fulfillment of every single scripture and every single hurt of every single brokenness, of every single sin, of everything that we've ever done wrong. And in that moment, he declared who he was. That our king of kings is not a distant, uninvolved king, but he's a king who has experienced and lived the life that you and I live. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to have people look at him and say, we don't like people like you. He knows what it's like. You see, he's not just the big guy in the sky. He's not just Jesus that we can be cool with. But he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And that is the gift that we get to share 
if you guys would stand with me. As we declare that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, this entire series, we've been sharing it from the prophecies in Genesis to the prophecies in Isaiah to Daniel and seeing it all the way through. And Paul wrote to Timothy that one day all will see that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. As we see in Revelation chapter 19, it says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his beard are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name in the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword, which we know in Scripture represents the Word of God itself, with which he can strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury and of the wrath of God Almighty, and it says this on his robe. It is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, the question that I ask you is not rhetorical. The question I ask you is timely. And the question that I ask you, every single person on earth someday will have to answer. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Someday when we stand before the king and he's got his medal or whatever he has to offer us. Are you going to stand before him and say, I rejected you. I didn't believe in you. I dismissed you even though I knew who you were. Are you going to bow down before him and say, God, my entire life I've given to you. I've put myself as your loyal subject and I've given my life to you because he is the king like no other king. He is the king of glory. He is the king of righteousness. It says in scripture, he is the king of ages, the king of all kings. That Jesus is the king that heals the sick. He opens the eyes of the blind. He heals those deaf ears. He gives strength to the weak. He is the king that delivered the captives. He is the king that restores the broken. He is the king that gives you shelter in times of trouble. He is the light of the world. Know this today. Jesus is your light when the world looks so dark. He is the prince of peace, the lamb of God. He is the alpha and the omega, the resurrection and the life. Our King of Kings brings us goodness indescribable, power incomprehensible, grace irresistible. At his name of Jesus, darkness trembles. In his presence, demons flee. Though the devil hated him, he could not stop him. Death couldn't defeat him, and the grave couldn't hold him. He is Jesus Christ, he is the King of Kings. You see, all of us that are up here doing worship, Leslie, who's worked so hard just to make this morning work, those that are serving our kids, we do this because we want you to know Jesus as we know Jesus. Because once you know him, once you've had that relationship with him, you have no other response than to put him as the king of your life. 
once you've realized that all these verses that you've heard are all part of this amazing, beautiful picture that God's been drawing. And yeah, there's some darkness. There's some hurt in that picture. There's some blood on that picture. But he's come so that someday we can stand with him for all of eternity. In this song, I pray that you can declare this truth. Describe that he is the king of kings. That this Christmas, we respond to the gift in a way that we never had before. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Hallelujah, oh. Are you Lord God Almighty? Oh, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. You are holy, holy. And are you Lord God Almighty? And worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Amen. In the darkness we were waiting without hope, without light. Until from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt can we all just lift our hands and sing to him today and praise the father and praise the son and praise the
stones moved for good for the lamb had conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the father are restored and the church of christ was born We thought, felt all week that God wants to give out some gifts early this year. And so right now is the opportunity for you to receive uh, the most precious Christmas gift that we can ever give. And right now you've got the opportunity to receive this, to answer that question right now once and for all. I also know for some people, I feel like today may be Born Again Sunday, where some of us have feel like you've walked away from God. You've had that moment with God and it's been lost. And today you want to declare that he is going to be the King of Kings, the Lord over Lord of your life from this day forward. So if that's you, if you want to cry out to Jesus Christ and, and make him King, let's bow our heads and close our eyes and say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I admit to you that I have sinned against you. But I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I commit my life to you because you've already given me yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. With eyes bows and heads, uh, heads bows and eyes closed. If you've said that prayer today, you've, you've declared that Jesus Christ is your King of Kings. And today's the first time that you've said that, or maybe you haven't said it in a long time. Would you raise your hand? Um, just so I can recognize what God's doing in your life and talk to you. God, we praise you. For those of you that are at home or watching this, we know that the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to work in any space at any time. And so we believe this message is true for you. God, thank you for the work that you're doing here today. God, thank you that this is what Christmas is all about. That Jesus Christ, that you were born of a virgin birth. God, you came and you lived a perfect life. 
You died for us so that we can live for you. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right, Merry Christmas. If we don't see you again, have a wonderful Christmas. If not, we'll see you on Christmas Eve. God bless. Thank you.